You're listening to another episode of the Choose to Think podcast. I'm Victoria Walker, a 21st century Christian woman trying to do life God's way. Come with me to put the feet on your faith. Today, we're going to choose to think. And boy, do I have a treat for you today. In my study of Psalm 121, the fourth most popular psalm, according to Google, I learned something so curious about how this song and the powerful words it contains were used. It's a positively delightful application. Today's episode is part one of our study of Psalm 121, where we will set the backdrop to this psalm. And in part two next week, we will look at a personal story and real life application. Please stay tuned. So you're wondering, what's so curious about Psalm 121? Well, a couple of things, really. First, it's a song of ascent, you know, like walking or stepping upwards. There are 15 songs of ascent or degrees in the Bible, and most were written by David. And there are several theories about how they were categorized and when they were sung. Some say these psalms were titled according to their step-like rhythm. They are short and upbeat and offer a good dose of hope to the listener. Other traditions hold that these 15 psalms were associated with the 15 steps between the court of men and the court of women in the temple in Jerusalem. You know, the Levites, they were musicians, they made music on these very steps on the evening of the first day of tabernacles. Perhaps these psalms were sung by exiles returning to Jerusalem. In the Old Testament book of Ezra, the return from exile was called the going up from Babylon. They're also called pilgrim songs, and it seems the most popular scholarly view is that these psalms were sung during traditional Jewish festivals as the pilgrims were headed on, perhaps, their long journey toward Jerusalem. You know, this ancient city is located in a range of hills. I remember from my research that there was nothing particularly appealing about Jerusalem in terms of what it could offer as a city. It did not boast topographical boundaries for protection, natural resources, or fertile areas. Side note, isn't it just like God to choose the most unappealing and plain place to do business? Doesn't he use ordinary, even broken vessels just like us and transform us into his masterpieces and trophies of his grace? Gosh, I love that thought. Now, you wonder, what fascinated me about this particular psalm? Well, get this. It is commonly placed in labor and delivery rooms as well as in the cradles for newborns. Stop and think about that. Why this one Old Testament scripture over any other one? Because in Jewish custom, as I understand it, the first thing parents want their tiny newborns to see is something holy, to be welcomed into this world and to be surrounded by truth. According to WebMD, Babies can see quite well at birth, but are nearsighted, which is why we get so close to them to cuddle them and to speak with them. In Spanish, to give birth is translated dar la luz, which means literally to give light. If you've given birth, you have given light to the tiny, beautiful creature knit together in your womb. The child is delivered from the darkness and security of his mother's womb into the light of human existence or the world. If you've adopted your child, you've also given light to that precious human in the form of hope, love, and sacrifice. We will see in a moment that God is described in Psalm 121 as our shade. We really need his shade because the artificial and blinding light of this world can be kind of ugly, if not a terrifying place to be. One of the reasons I think Psalm 121 is so popular is because it represents a universal cry of the human soul for protection. Do you remember that first time when you saw the ocean or perhaps the Grand Canyon on your first airplane or your first airplane ride? Do you remember just how small you felt, how vulnerable and minute? 
Most of us have experienced that perspective, you know, that the world, the universe, the galaxy is really a huge place. We see ourselves as but a dot on the historic timeline, just a blip, split second in time, if that. And when we're in trouble, well, to whom or what do we cry? This song echoes the call of so many folks before us, that deepest groaning in our souls where we need someone, somebody beyond ourselves, bigger than we are, someone far smarter and wiser, some director, leader, the divine CEO, who not only has the authority, but also the capability to step into our tiny world and to help us. We all need support like this. Boy, I know I do. And sometimes it is from these moments of distress that we actually meet our creator for the very first time. The quote, universe is not a person. The quote, earth is made of dirt. We don't need the universe. We don't need the dirt, the earth at this moment. No, we need the one who exists, the one who is the great I am. We need Jehovah and we need him as our Lord. As you listen to this psalm, you will note that God is referred to as Lord. In English, this word is all capped, meaning Jehovah or the existing one. This is also called the proper name of the one true God. As I read, you will note that Jehovah is pictured as the keeper. This means God keeps you. He watches over you. He guards you. He is your protector. He tends to you. He even helps you as the gardener to grow and mature by pruning you back in those areas where you need a bit of refinement. Jehovah, or Lord, is also pictured as the shade, as I mentioned earlier. When you stand close to him, he shades you or protects you as you go. He's your shadow of defense. As you listen to the psalm, you will note that the Lord is very active. It is no wonder that this particular psalm is also engraved on jewelry, such as bracelets and pendants, to remind the wearer that there is someone who is their helper in times of need and distress. These words are like a shot of hope directly into the heart of the believer. We all want to be rescued. Amen? Well, after reading, I will share a personal story that you don't want to miss about my daughter and how she quite nearly lost her life. Psalm 121, A Song of Ascents I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. I need to set the table on the personal story with one huge tablecloth. And remember, the personal story is actually coming next week, but here we go. The promises of God, if we look at them in this psalm, can be a bit slippery in our grasp. We know that bad things happen to everyone. No one is outside the realm of calamity, trial, and tribulation, much less Christians. Some are laboring for God in countries where Christians are persecuted. Some Christians are ordinary folks who have lived their lives dedicated to God, His work, and His ways, and out of the blue, bam, hardship strikes and strikes hard. Well, how do we justify God's promises then? How do we understand them? 
Perhaps a good first step to take is to realize that God exercises both his providential or perfect will and his permissive will. In very simple terms, because believe me, the topic of God's sovereignty is fairly complex, and I'm trying to keep things as basic as possible. But so in as simply as I can understand it, I think of it like this. His providential will is his sovereign or overarching plan that will not be messed with. His permissive will, on the other hand, is basically what he does permit or allows, what he allows to happen in this life, which includes our own sinful choices and just about any calamity in general. In other words, God is indeed sovereign, yet in his sovereignty, his permissive will allows folks to make choices. As an example, don't you get to choose whether to love and serve God or not? He does not mandate your allegiance and your devotion to him. No, he gives us all the dignity to choose. He longs for our own self-will to be aligned with his will. Of course he does. And he also desires that each choice we do make is a good one and is vetted first through his truth. I mean, I don't think he really cares if I eat broccoli or Brussels sprouts for dinner or whether I drive to Florida or New Hampshire on vacation. But you know what? He might. In other words, it's always a good idea to pass things by the Lord first, which is one reason we dialogue with Him. It's one reason why we pray. Communion with God helps us to discern the promptings of His Spirit. Now, James, who was the brother of Jesus, wrote in the New Testament in chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, in James, quote, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. End quote. You know, years ago, I heard the Reverend Chuck Swindoll once describe God's will using a word picture, and probably I'm butchering this to be sure, but it was so long ago, but that image and the principle have always stuck with me. He said something like this, picture God's sovereignty like a boat crossing the Atlantic Ocean. God's perfect plan is to get the boat from point A, Europe, to point B, America. God's permissive will allows the ship's captain and crew to veer left or right along the way to detour, to stop, to hit high waves and danger, to be driven and tossed about by the wind. God's permissive will lets the passengers on the boat sit and soak up the rays, or they can go to the gym, or they can have a meal in the cantina. Everyone gets to choose, but rest assured that the boat, in the end, will land on American soil. You see, there really is no plan B. Nothing catches God by surprise. Now we kind of grasp that God exercises both a perfect or providential will and a permissive will. So let's consider the promises found in Psalm 121, such as he won't let our foot slip or he will guard us from all evil and he will watch our coming and going, etc., It helps me a lot as a Christian to recognize that God is both my physical keeper and my spiritual keeper. 
Our physical conditions are of little worth in truth. Indeed, our bodies are just tents and we've an appointed time to die. It is our spirits that provide the value. Do you agree with that? So what is all this really about then? I mean, how do we cling to the promises that God makes in his word, knowing all the while that sometimes our foots may slip? Or sometimes evil's upon us, or sometimes bad things happen when I go out and when I come back in. Even Satan tempted and taunted Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7 in the wilderness. Quote, then the devil took him, or Jesus, into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And herein lies the bottom dollar one word answer to this whole issue trust. We know God is our keeper and our guard. We trust in the physical sense that he will keep us alive and guard us until our time to pass on earth has arrived. In the spiritual sense, when we are right there beside him, following him, obedient to him, and so close to him that he shades our right hand, he will certainly keep and guard us until our souls are delivered up to him. This means that if we or those we know and love experience physical harm, yet our lives and theirs are spared, we still trust him. It even means when our loved one dies that we trust him. We trust God despite the outcomes in our lives. I think it's probably fair to say that not all Jewish babies who were born or delivered into this world survived upon birth. And what for Psalm 121 then? In other words, if my baby were appointed a time to die just minutes, hours, or days after delivery, it would not matter how many copies of Psalm 121 I placed before his or her eyes. Now, would it? No, of course it wouldn't. And this is where we recognize these wonderful promises of God and how they are in effect, if you will, in his good timing. We trust God even when his providential or permissive wills do not appear to be in our favor. We remember that the spiritual always has the upper hand on the physical. We do our daily business knowing and trusting that God is our helper, our keeper, our shade, and that he will guard us. If it appears that he is not guarding us, We choose to trust that he knows exactly what he is allowing to happen in our lives and that somehow these very events are a part of a much larger picture. We choose to think and plant our thoughts in the field of trust and confidence in God, come what may. And like Jesus, we refuse to put God to any test. We are determined to find ways to be grateful even amidst physical pain and suffering. Now, I know this can be a really hard sell. Some might say, well, that's easy for you to say, Victoria. You have not lost a child after delivery. You're not dealing with paralysis or cancer. You've not watched a husband or parent die an abrupt, unexpected, or even premature death. And you're right, I haven't. 
But allow me to say, as humbly as I can, that I have questioned God's permissive will about events He has allowed in my life, and the questioning has not been pretty. Through all the questioning and the rocky roads that I've traveled upon, and that may look a whole lot different from your road, but I have learned to trust God no matter the size and shape of the hardship. I try, try, try not to give way to fear, worry, and anxiety, even about what could happen in this life in the future, all that would, you know, make me better or refine my faith. In other words, for certain things that could happen, like the death of a child, well, I would like to say no thanks right now to that. So I hope you don't think that I'm minimizing your pain in any way. You're right, I have not walked in your shoes. But this is the point. We would all do better to keep our eyes on God, no matter the surroundings. Satan tempted Jesus to prove in the physical realm that God was really God and that his promise not to allow Jesus to be harmed in the physical was true. Jesus, however, responded with and focused on a spiritual application regarding God's very character and omnipotence. Satan tried to get Jesus to look down at the physical stones, but Jesus looked up toward God. Jesus trusted God in all ways. It does seem that Jesus had the advantage of being fully God and fully man, but yet he offered to us good example of how to respond regarding the promises of God. We trust God, we trust His will and His character, no matter what we face on this earth. We do not put the Lord, our God, to the test. Okay, also let's remember that this psalm was penned with not only the psalmist David in mind, but also with the nation of Israel. God continues to protect Israel to this very day. But the history is quite complex when you say, one of my favorite apologetic responses or, you know, a response to defend our Christian faith was uttered by a dear friend of mine from Germany in a Sunday school class years ago. She concluded whatever argument or discourse or discussion we were having with, she said, well, what about the Jews? In other words, longevity doesn't prove anything in a real sense, I suppose, but it certainly does suggest a whole lot. In case you didn't know, Jesus himself was a Jew, and Judaism is the oldest of the three existing monotheistic religions. In other words, God still has his eyes on his nation, and we, Christian, are grafted into this magnificent genealogy. Let's collect our thoughts a bit from today's episode. We've set a pretty solid historic background for this Song of Ascent, or Psalm 121. We pondered God's sovereignty by distinguishing between His perfect and His permissive wills. We've concluded that regardless of what God allows or doesn't allow in our lives, our job is simply to trust Him. I've also attempted to suggest that the spiritual is of greater weight, or even importance, if you will, than the physical. We can believe God's promises. We speak His promises. We choose to think about His manners and ways. And we also understand that He has the absolute bigger picture in mind. We seek Him even in days of very humble beginnings. We aim to glorify Him no matter where we work or play. 
we deliver His light no matter our earthly circumstance. And when things don't go quite the way we think they should or had hoped that they would, well, when the dust settles, we just choose to trust Him anyway. We don't test Him or try Him. After all, He is God and we are not. Now, I actually have a couple of quotes for today's episode from Johnny Erickson Tada from her book, The God I Love, A Lifetime of Walking with Jesus. In case you don't know her or of her, she is paralyzed from the shoulders down. I love her title of the book for that reason alone. Now she writes, quote, sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. End quote. And she also wrote, quote, I learned that you can't wear a crown unless you bear a cross. That if our Savior had learned obedience through suffering, we should expect the same. End quote. What beautiful reminders that just because God allows kind of horrible things doesn't mean he is exactly happy about what's going on. Yet, in his sovereignty, he will let a lot of stuff happen for the greater good and to draw our hearts to him. And yes, if we are to imitate Jesus Christ, then suffering should not come as a surprise to us. Rather, we should expect a rather large portion of it in our lifetimes. We can allow that suffering to refine us, to humble us, to make us more like our Savior, or we can let it make us bitter, resentful, and even angry. We do have a choice even in that. Okay, here's a bit of homework for you this week as we're just wrapping up. Examine your life. Look back and do a mental check on events that God allowed in your life. Do you now see, perhaps years later even, that what was allowed has influenced you in any good way? Did you grow better from this event, or have you grown bitter as a result? If you are running a little low on your trusting God meter, maybe it is time to look up and ask for help. Ask God to help you trust Him. He will do it. Now, Next week, in part two of our study of Psalm 121, I will share a personal story that you don't want to miss about my daughter and how she quite nearly lost her life. But for now, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for guarding us in this life. Thank you that we can believe all of your promises, knowing that when our time is ready in the physical sense, you will call us home. Thank you for your son, Jesus, whom we are to imitate even through our suffering. When we don't understand things that happen to us and to those we love in this life, help us to look up to you, renew and refine our trust in you, ignite our hearts to desire the spiritual shade you provide more than anything else in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in, friend. I'm so grateful for you. Check out the show notes below and please stay connected. I also put in the show notes some of the places that I research and that I use for my study. So you might be interested in that as well. Be sure to listen to next week's episode for part two of our study on Psalm 121. 
Also, please rate, share, and write a review for me. Your words of encouragement are so valuable to me. I also have a listener support tab, just in case you would consider donating to help others learn about God and His Word and to find inspiration and hope in their journey to choose to think. Or maybe you have a family member or friend who would be encouraged by this message. Please pass the link on in social media. Now you can connect with me on www.startwithagratefulheart.weebly.com, start with a grateful heart on Facebook, and Victoria D. Walker on Instagram. Dios primero y que Dios te bendiga. Chao.